It's awesome. That's good. So there's hope for all of us. Amen. All right. If you'll turn with me to Genesis chapter 2, please. We're looking at Acts chapter 1, verse 8 first, and then there's another one, and then we'll get to Genesis, but we'll be there quickly. In Acts 1, 8, and we've been looking at this, this is really our theme. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And God sent Jesus so we would have the power to walk in the new life of Christ, but only with the power of the Holy Spirit. We can't do it on our own. You can't be like Christ on your own. You can't act like Him on your own. Now, you can be nice and kind for a little while on your own, but sooner or later, you're going to come out. All right? That's why we need the Holy Spirit. And if we want to be His witnesses, and that's what God has called us to, then we have to give way to the Holy Spirit in our life. And the good news is, is we don't have to stay in our old ways. We don't have to stay like He found us. And the problem is, there's a lot of Christians who want to stay the way God found them. You like your drama, you like your mess, and everything else. And that's not what God has saved you for. That's not why God sent Jesus Christ. He sent us so that we could be transformed into Christ-likeness. And we have to understand that Christ-likeness is God's plan and purpose for each and every one of us who are born again. And even if you're not born again, He still wants you to be Christ-like and come to salvation. He didn't come just to be fire insurance to save you from hell. That's not the reason that He came. I mean, that is one reason, but that's not the only reason. And a lot of us have stopped at that. He came to save us to do something great. Something greater than is beyond our ability. Greater than what we can ask or think or imagine according to Ephesians. Greater than what is in us before our salvation and before the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. And to be willing to be transformed. To be willing to trust the process and not just be saved. We have to know that God loves us, that He's for us, and we have to be certain of His love and secure in His love for us. I mean, there's no other way. You are not going to progress in your Christian faith until you are certain that God loves you. Last week we talked about three words for love in the Bible. We're going to look at them again today, but I'm going to add some stuff. And um, you're going to love me more after this than before. How's that? Before I get into it, I want you to know that um, You know, as a pastor, you just assume that people understand the Scripture. You assume that they want what God wants for you. But in reality, most of the time we don't. We don't understand it or we don't want it. I don't know which one it is or maybe it's a combination of both. But this morning, I want to share this in a way that I hope is very practical to you. At the very end, I'm going to bring Jesus back into the picture. Because it's important that we understand that he got this. All right? He knew that he was loved. And because he knew that he was loved by the Father, and he loved the Father in return, he did an amazing thing. Okay? So the first word that we looked at was eros. And, and that, that's love in the Scriptures. But that is sensual love. It's physical love. And it is a gift from God. 
But it is a gift from God when it's practiced within the marriage bed that God has defined. Okay? The world is trying to redefine marriage and they are engaging in more arrows than they are anything else. And it's not God's design. Arrows is an incredible gift from God when it's in the confines of God's marriage. Hebrews 13.4 says this, let marriage be held in honor among all. And this marriage that he's talking about is God's definition of marriage, not the world's. And let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. So let me just say this from the beginning. And, and this is proof positive. You can find it in the scripture. Any sexual activity outside marriage of a male and a female is wrong. Y'all making this hard, aren't you? <laughs> it's all right. So what I want to go through is defining marriage according to God's word. And in Genesis chapter 2, this is where we see it, but here's what's so important. When something happens for the first time in Scripture, that sets the, the preference for it. That is the... Uh, foundation for it. So it's known as principle of first mention um, or some phrase like that. But when, when God has done something, that means He's established the proper order. Okay, When He created, He created the space first and then He created the things. When He created marriage, this is how He did it. Genesis chapter 2. Starting in verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Some say suitable for him. Okay? So Adam is alone. God says it's not good for him to be alone. So he's going to do something about it. So this is what he does. Verse 19. Now out of the ground of the out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The, na the man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. Okay, now God is working something. He's revealing something to Adam. And what he's revealing is this, okay? After he brings all the animals to him and he names them, this is the revelation that Adam got. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. Okay? Because they weren't like him. They weren't human. They were made by God, but they weren't man. And so... Verse 21, so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he placed with, he, he placed with flesh. And the rib that the Lord got, well, sorry. Verse 22, and the rib that the Lord had, God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. After the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Okay, there's some things that I want to share about this before we go on. In verse 24, it says, Therefore a man shall leave his mother and father. Do you know Adam didn't know what a mother and father were at that moment? 
So God is prophetically speaking what is going to happen. Okay? And not only is he going to leave, but now he's going to cleave. Okay? Verse 25 is important that the man and his wife were both naked and they were not ashamed. We cannot start playing God and twisting things to meet our own desires. We have to live according to his desires and the boundaries he has set. Okay? The safest, happiest place we can ever be is living within the framework or boundaries of God, not in our own ways, not in our own feelings, not according to our own desires in the natural. God knows what is best for us and He has established us accordingly. And so, this brings me to two points here. The first point is, well, first of all, gentlemen, will you tell me you love me? All the men, just tell me you love me. Okay. You have to get this. If you're a male, you have to get this. God gave you a helpmate. He gave you a helpmate because you need one. Okay? So when you say, I do, you found your helpmate. Whether you like it or not, she is yours. He didn't give Eve a helpmate. She doesn't need one. Men need help. If you put a bunch of men together, nothing is going to get done except for grunting. You know, you'll ask a man a question. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's why we need women. And that's why God gave us women. So men need a helpmate. Women are our helpmate within the context of marriage. Now, look. I know some of y'all are thinking, and just go ahead and think like, well, we're just talking marriage right now. We all need each other. We're all the body of Christ. Yes, I understand that. But when you're talking about marriage, God has ordained that it's between a man and a woman. And, and I'm going to clarify this again. A real man and a real woman according to how God made you. You can't change in mid-sentence or in where some, some other time and declare yourself something else. God did not make a mistake when He made you who you are. Do you know, just in the physical realm alone, what has to happen to make the difference between a male and a female in your mother's womb? That alone ought to bring something to your senses to say, God must have known what He was doing when He made me. Now, if you don't like who you are, take it up with him sometime. But don't change it. And the best thing that you can do is give yourself to the boundaries that he has made you. The world has changed this, speaking of marriage, and tried to redefine the boundaries of God. And God's not accepting it. And you can try to accept it, but it's not going to be the best for your life. And this all started with the promotion of homosexuality and now has progressed to transgenderism. And I'm telling you, it's from the pit of hell. Now, I do want to tell you that both are wrong, homosexuality and transgenderism, but the church hasn't handled it properly as well. But I believe that God, at least in my time, I've seen a shift in the church and how we respond to both of them. But here's what's so amazing to me. As difficult as the church was to them, now they are to everybody else who disagrees with them. Try disagreeing with a homosexual. Try disagreeing with somebody who has their mindset on changing their gender. 
their viciousness will come out. And there's so much confusion now. And there doesn't need to be. God made male or female. That's it. There's not 23 different kinds. There's not 53. There's not 78. However many they think there are now. On your birth certificate, there ought to be male and female. And you choose whichever one you are. And if you are confused which one you are, just come see me and I'll tell you. And God, physically speaking, made our bodies to complement one another. In verse 25, if it's not up, pull it back up. And I, I want us to see this. And the man and his wife were both naked. And were not ashamed. Part of the reason that they weren't ashamed is because they saw themselves as spiritual beings first. There was a glory that was around them and they were able to trust in their Creator. And so though they were naked, they weren't ashamed. But after the fall, all of that changed. And the way it changed was the enemy came in and got them to distrust God. Look with me to Genesis 3, please. Genesis 3, verse 7. We have to understand that we're spiritual beings first and we're having a temporary human experience. And so the only way that the enemy can mess us up is to mess us up in the natural realm and bring confusion. So in Genesis chapter 3, this is after the fall. And it says in verse 7, Genesis 3, 7, then the eyes of both of them were open and they knew they were naked. Now, did they not know that before? I mean, I don't know, but it says that they knew. It says that they were naked, but they weren't ashamed. Now they're, they know that they are naked. <coughs> and it continues. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. So not only do they now know that they're naked, now when God comes, they hide. Verse 9, but the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And I just want you to know, God knew exactly where they were. This was for Adam's part, not God's. And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid. Okay, they hid. They, they tried to fix themselves, tried to cover themselves. Now they're afraid. And here's the reason they were afraid. Because I was naked. And I hid myself. He said, God, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Yes, they did. Okay? Here's the point I want us to see this morning. They move from a realm of purity, of being able to see God and see each other in a spiritual realm with spiritual eyes, and they weren't ashamed. But after the fall, after they disobeyed God because they didn't trust Him any longer, and they fell, then everything else fell apart in their life. And here's what happened. The love 
and, and let me say it and then we'll try to explain. Love, Eros love, was elevated in the place of agape love or even phileo love. Okay? So the sensual love was elevated to a place that God didn't intend for it to be elevated. And don't get me wrong on this, because you know I have to say it, but hopefully you'll understand. Eros love is the most basic love. It's the lowest level of love that there is. Now, within the marriage bed, it's wonderful, and it's needed, and it's necessary. But outside of that, Eros is the lowest form of love there is. And Think about what has happened. The world has now elevated that love as the standard. And if you don't agree with that, there's something wrong with you. And that is wrong. And so thinking that they were going to have their eyes open, what they opened them to was the natural realm and the, and the deception and the fall of the natural realm. They began to see each other through eyes of flesh, sensual, not the spirit realm. And so I just wanted to say to you young people, when you look at yourself in the flesh, know that God did not make a mistake when He wove you together in your mother's womb. And live in the higher dimension of your life. Not worrying about your physical, but worrying about, thinking about, caring about, seeking to have a greater understanding of your spiritual being. And knowing that we're spiritual beings having a temporary human experience. Live by faith. By knowing God made you and don't live according to your feelings or how the world tells you you are supposed to feel or think about yourself. And then I delayed in sharing this, but I'll share it now. We as believers should not celebrate Gay Pride Month. Okay, now, first of all, if you're, you, you shouldn't even have to be a, a smart Christian to figure this out. Okay? If something involves pride, you should run from it. Okay? And the fact that they're prideful ought to tell you that it's wrong. And it's coming from the world, so you should know that there's something up. But to think that they're making it prideful, you should run from that. Because here's some things that God says about pride. Proverbs 6, verses 16 to 19. He says, there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to Him. And the first one is haughty eyes. And if you don't know what that means, it means being prideful. A lying tongue. He's putting all of this together in hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that make haste to run to evil. A false witness who breathes out lies. And one who sows discord among brothers. Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction. Hello? And a haughty spirit before a fall. James 4, 6. But He, God, gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And Peter also mentions this in, verse, in 1 Peter 5, 5. That God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. And so, as a nominal Christian, you should know better than to celebrate something that has pride in it. It's going to come back and haunt you. 
And the more scary thing is, is that they are taking something that is ungodly, anti-God, worldly, and being prideful about it. And these two things should make you run from it. All of us need to support biblical boundaries, not the worldly ones. And again, I just want to remind you, the world now is celebrating the lowest form of love there is. And that is totally contrary to the way of God. And again, you know, as a pastor, you would think that people would know this, but you're finding out people don't know this. People don't understand this. So that's the first level of love that the Scripture speaks of or that we can find. The second one is phileo. And we get the word Philadelphia from it, which is the city of brotherly love because that's what phileo means. It means brotherly love. Okay? It's a beautiful thing. And that's one of the loves that we should have for one another. Eros is reserved, should be reserved for marriage. Okay? But phileo is being able to love one another because we're created in the likeness and image of God. And then the third one is agape love, which is God love. And it's not God's kind of love. It's God love because God is love. All right? And it always includes sacrifice. And we have the greatest sacrifice in God giving us and loving us so much that He gave us Jesus Christ to bring us back into right relationship with Him. When our kids were growing up, whenever they would have a spat with one another or get a little testy with one another, we would just call a timeout. We would have them get together and they would have to face one another and then they would have to hug one another. And they would have to say to one another, if one was wrong, they had to apologize first and then say, I choose to love and cherish and honor you. <laughs> That'll put an end to an argument. Now, we as Diana and me, we're not like the brightest bulb, but do you know that the word agape means to highly love and cherish and honor one another. We were teaching our children to agape one another. And we told them whenever we did this, God put you together as brothers, brother and sister. He made you a family, whether you like it or not. And in this family, when you're with us, you're going to like it. In John 4, or 1 John chapter 4. Sorry, 1 John chapter 4. And you don't have to turn there. You can go to John chapter 21 if you want. But in 1 John chapter 4, verse 16, it says this. So we have come to know and to believe the love. And that word love is agape. Okay? That God has for us. So we've come to know and believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And that word is agape. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. Isn't that awesome? But I want to tell you that we need the power of the Holy Spirit to agape, to love sacrificially, to love one another. Because after the fall, it is not in us. But after salvation, the Holy Spirit has come to live within us. In John chapter 21, if you'll turn with me there. John 21, verse 15. And this is after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's been some time that has happened. And it says this, John 21, 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, 
Simon, son of John, do you love? And that word love is agape. Okay. Do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And the word that he uses there is phileo. So he was saying, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. Brotherly love. He he said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And that word love is agape again. So this is the second time that God has asked him, do you agape me? Okay. He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And again, it's phileo. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now, Jesus changes it now, and that's the word phileo. Okay, not agape. Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Phileo. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Okay, so this is what's so important about this. Besides the fact that Hannah reminded me of it last week. Jesus did this to restore Peter because he had denied the Lord three times. Remember? And so scholars believe that this is Jesus redeeming him and and setting the precedent of bringing him back. And each time he's to do something towards others. And Peter was one of the great shepherds. Okay? So Peter used the word phileo for love each time while the first two times Jesus used the word agape for love. Here's the interesting thing. In Peter's writings, in his two letters that he wrote, he used the word love ten times. Nine of those ten times, it was the word agape. One time it was the word phileo. I believe that Peter got the message and I believe that Peter got the message because of the Holy Spirit that was now in him. And I just want to encourage you that we need the power of the Holy Spirit to walk in the agape love of God in Christ. It is not in us to do it in and of ourselves. If you'll turn with me to John chapter 13. I'm going to say this today, but we're going to look at this in more practical ways next week. Okay. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to be quiet. To be silent. To be still. To be defenseless. When we are being sacrificed. When we are walking in agape love. If we are going to walk in agape love, we need the power of the Holy Spirit to trust the Father. Especially when it looks as if we are in the wrong. In John chapter 13, verse 1. And I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, my mind works a certain way and sometimes yours doesn't work like mine and I'm sorry for that. I wish it did. But I'm glad that it doesn't because... But anyways, I've said all that I've said because we need to know that God loves us. We need to know that without a shadow of a doubt. We need to know that when He made you, He didn't make a mistake. He knew exactly who He wanted you to be. He has plans and purposes for each and every one of us. He did not make a mistake. 
How you are is because that's how God wanted you. Are you perfect? No. And by the way, gentlemen, let me, let me put a little qualifier on your helpmate. She's not perfect either. She's not perfect, but she is your helpmate. She will speak nuggets of gold for you if you will listen to her. I know firsthand. And sometimes those goals don't come out in peaceful words. <laughs> sometimes they come out and you are like fit to be tied. But then if you'll just settle down, give yourself some time and say to yourself, God, you sent me a helper. I know you can question it, but he did. And then take some time to be quiet and to be still, to be defenseless, and you'll see that she was right. And that brings me to John chapter 13. Because I, I'm telling you, if you will trust that God loves you, you will do great things with your life. In John chapter 13, this is before Jesus goes to the cross. And he's getting ready to wash his disciples' feet. And I heard this years ago, and it has helped me out so much that I, I trust and pray and have been praying that it helps you out as well. In John chapter 13, starting in verse 1, it says this. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Okay, so think about this. Jesus knew that he was getting ready to go to the cross and die. Okay? He knew, okay, it was time for him to depart, that he was going back to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Verse 2. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing. Everybody say knowing. Here it is. Jesus, knowing. Everybody say knowing. That the Father had given all things into his hand. And, everybody say and. And that he had come from God and was going back to God. You see, Jesus knew this. He knew where he came from and he knew where he was going. He knew that he came from God. He stayed within his boundaries. He stayed within the limitations that God gave him as a man. He didn't have him saving the whole world through a political system. He did it through a spiritual system. Jesus stayed, <clears throat> I almost titled this, Stay in Your Lane. I don't know if I gave you a title, but that would be a, Stay in Your Lane. Jesus, first of all, knew where He had come from. He knew where He was going. Can I ask you a question? Do you know, without a shadow of a doubt, that you came from God? You were in his mind before you came into being? And do you know that one day you are going to face him again? And the best way that you can face him is with faith in Jesus Christ as your sacrifice? So that you don't have to be afraid when you see him? What joy it would be to your heart to know that you came from your Father who is in heaven and one day, because of your faith in Jesus Christ, you are going back to see Him. And let me tell you something. When you know that, here's what you start to think. Well, what can man do to me? What can somebody do to me to hurt me, to mess me up? Because you can walk around with your chest out and you can say, 
I belong to my Father. I came from Him. And one day, because of my faith in Jesus Christ, I'm going back to Him. Bring it. Give it your best shot. They can say all kind of manner of evil against you. And with the power of the Holy Spirit and the knowing that He brings to us, you can just take it. You can just let it roll off. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given Him all things into His hands and that He had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside His outer garments and taken a towel, tied it around His waist. Then He poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around Him. Why is this so important? Because Jesus knowing that he had come from God and that he was getting ready to depart and go back to God, gave us an example that we should follow. He became a servant. And the servant who washed the feet was the lowest of the lowest. And Jesus, even though he's Jesus, because he knew he was loved by the Father, he could stoop down to wash people's feet. He could take on the form of a servant. And wash some feet. It didn't bother him. I'm going to tell you, if you get this, things will stop bothering you that have bothered you. And I want to tell you that not only did he wash their feet, but He provided salvation. And not only for them, but for us. Through the cross of Jesus Christ. How did He do it? He gave Himself to the Holy Spirit. He stayed within the boundaries, the plans and the purposes of God. Even though He was tempted to walk out of them. Even though He was tempted to veer off course a little bit. He never did. He chose to stay true to God's plans and purposes for his life. And I want to tell us that for us, the Holy Spirit, listening and obeying the Holy Spirit and giving ourselves to God's word are the things that will keep us from falling prey to the ways of the world and losing the destiny that God has for us. Keeping us focused and not confused and thrown off course. The world is promoting feelings. The world is promoting feelings. If you feel like you're something, you know, be it. God doesn't promote feelings. He promotes His truth. We have gotten off course because people have lived according to their feelings and not according to the purposes of God. The truth of God. As we receive communion this morning, let it be a renewed commitment to the Lord that you are going to live for Him. You're going to live your life within His boundaries according to the biblical plans and purposes that God has for you. If we can have those that are going to help serve, come on up. When we pass out the elements, if you'll just hold them until we, everybody has them and then we'll share together. We'll share the, the bread first, the body first. But I want to read out of Luke chapter 22, verse 14. And it says, And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. 
For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And I'm not going to go into it, but there were different cups and they represented different things. So he's not talking about the next cup that we're going to get to. Um, Verse 19. And he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the son of man goes as it has been determined, but woe to the to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them it would be who was going to do this. And I I almost didn't put that in, but I put it in because go back to verse 22, if you will. For the son of man goes as it has been determined. I'm telling you, if you stay within the lanes that God has for you, if you stay within the plans and the purposes that he has for you, you will do great So we'll pass the bread out first. If you'll just take it and hold on to it until everybody has received and then we'll share together. If we can hold the bread before the Lord. Father, we do thank you for this bread and we take it in remembrance of you. We take it in remembrance of you being true to the plans and purposes of God. Of staying within the boundaries because you knew that you were loved. You knew that you came from God and that you were going back to him. And Father, I pray that as we take this, we're making the commitment We may have been off course, but we're making the commitment to be on course, to be on your plans and purposes for our lives, to stay within your boundaries because we know you love us and because we know that we've come from you, that you were the one who planned and purposed us. And Father, that through faith in Jesus Christ, we're going to see you again. In Jesus' name. Share it again.
to go ahead and take the cup and just hold it until everybody has been served. Father, we thank you for this cup as it represents your blood and the forgiveness of our sins. Lord, we've all missed the mark. We've all sinned. We've all failed. But Lord, I thank you for the blood applied, for your blood that washes us white as snow. Let's share together. 